Well, welcome back to week number two of the last page, Alma Online in Mount Pleasant, where we are deliberately skipping to the end of the book, which you're not supposed to do when you read a book, but we're doing it anyway. We're going to take a look at the end of this book, and we're going to be asking the question, God, how do you wrap up this story? What does it look like at the back end of all of this? Because God in His goodness and His faithfulness has actually given us a picture. He's given us a revelation and a glimpse so that... I think it would change the way we live our lives today. So this future day is coming, and we need to have a great, great awareness around that. All of this came, if you were not here with us last week, by a very innocent comment from one of the disciples as they're leaving the temple, where basically one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, look at the temple. They loved the temple, so proud of the temple. Isn't the temple great? And Jesus just launches into this poignant monologue filled with insights and right off the front end on what seemed like a fairly casual comment from just one little disciple, Jesus says, yep, you see that temple? It's going to be completely dismantled. I mean, those massive bricks, those, this huge, beautiful symbol of everything that they loved and was their culture and their religion, their faith, their history, all of that, it's going to be completely dismantled. I didn't mention this last week, but historically, Jesus, what he said, actually happened in the year 70 AD. The, the temple, which was known as the second temple, was completely turned upside down. It was destroyed. It was ruined. Jesus foreknew and he foretold, he prophesied something that would take place. And in the year 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. To which I would say, if anyone could say that and then for that to take place, you're going to want to listen to what he has to say. So check this out. He goes a little bit further in the conversation. Last week, we looked at these signs of an end day coming. But the signs in and of themselves do not indicate that that's the end day. Things that were really common to us. Wars, rumors of war, people falling away from the faith, people growing in hatred, a deficit of love, things that we would say, and we see this all the time, and what that was saying was that those are birth pains. It's not the culmination of a baby being born, but this is the beginning of him moving in this direction, and we know that that's common to all of our experience. Now he moves a little bit further into the conversation, and you're going to see a, a period of time that is known in theology as the tribulation, or the great tribulation. This is hard stuff. This is very, very difficult stuff. Check out some of this language. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and heavenly bodies will be shaken. So like right there, if you compare what we read last week, last week all the signs that Jesus spoke to us about are evident in our lives today. We see things going on. Famine, earthquake, troubles, pandemic, sickness, um, wars, rumors of wars, people moving towards hatred and a lack of love, people falling away from the faith. But this description right here, none of us have ever seen this. This is another day entirely. It goes on further, verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know summer is near. 
Even so, when you see all these things, you will know that it is near, right at the door. So the language has changed a little bit from last week. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Oh my, what are we to make of that? Heaven and earth will pass away. And I love this. But my words will never pass away. Amen, church? But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready, because a son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So the disciples are listening to a man who said the temple would be destroyed. The stones in that temple are enormous. I know because I've actually been there. I got on a plane and I went there. They're like the size of a small car. You'd look at them and you would say, I don't know what could lift that. I don't know what could move that. From their perspective... If he's telling us that this beautiful, iconic, amazing temple building, like the pride of all of Israel, if he's telling us that that's going to be destroyed, from the disciples' perspective, they're like, I mean, that's the end of everything. I mean, they're actually thinking too small, but they're actually thinking, man, that's the end of Judaism, that's the end of our religion, that's the end of our faith, that's the end of the sacrificial system. Like, it's all going to fall apart. That's the heart of us. And then they start asking all these muddled questions. Well, how's it going to happen, Jesus? How's it going to end? What's going to be the timeline? In what order will these things take place? And they don't understand how all of this will unfold. That is what Jesus is addressing. Oftentimes when I preach, I try to think in my mind, I try to anticipate what are the questions that people are going to ask in their minds as a result of the scripture that we're looking at or the thing that we're talking about? So here's the question that I think you're thinking right now. Pastor Alan, I mean, this stuff's a little, it's just a little out there, isn't it? In fact, this isn't what we're used to. I like the stuff that we're used to. Are you kind of, this is going a bit far. It's kind of crazy. End of the world. Stars falling from the sky. Come on. I mean, really? Really? I mean, most weeks I, I appreciate it. You know, I, I, I listen. I, it helps my marriage. It helps me not strangle my children. I really like that. So thank you for that. It helps me with personal stuff going on in my life. It helps me pray. It helps me understand the Bible, read the Bible. I appreciate that. But come on, this is a bit much, isn't it? Where does this fit into my life? It's all a little bit out there. Well, did you catch this little verse right in the middle? It said, heaven and earth will pass away. 
There are so many people who think what we know and what we are experiencing is all that there will ever be. It's always just going to be this way, what we know. Several months ago, leaders from all around the world met in Scotland for a uh, converging around this idea of global warming, trying to say, what can we do to help the world? And I appreciate that. But what they do not know is that a day is coming when everything will pass away. Now, if you're wondering, who is this Jesus? And these kinds of claims, because these are really epic claims. They're magnanimous claims. They're huge. Jesus, I, I, I see you as a really nice guy, but that's a staggering statement that you're making. Heaven itself will be gone. The earth, like the planet, and everything on it is going to be gone. Why is this relevant for my life? Here's why. Because you're listening to a guy who foretold that those car-sized blocks of a temple would be demolished into... And that was something that seemed impossible, something that seemed unchangeable. But he was right. And if that incredibly difficult thing took place and it truly was destroyed, I'm telling you right now, on a far grander and larger scale, everything that you know, everything, all of it, will be gone. That's a staggering thought to, get, to come to terms with. And you can count on that. You can depend on that. You can rely on that. Because, as a side note, not only did he prophesy that the temple would be destroyed, and it was, but he also rose from the dead. And I don't know if you know anyone else that has risen from the dead, but if you do, you should really listen to what they have to say. What I'm saying is your future, you're going to want to listen to what he has to say. You can trust it. What I'm telling you about these last days, this trouble, this persecution, the difficulty, you can actually rely that that's going to happen. What we're talking about today, the reason why we're talking about it is because Jesus talked about it, and that's good enough for me. New Testament writers take this so seriously, what is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, that we see in all of these what are known as letters and epistles for the rest of the New Testament. There's tons of them. What we see is almost every single one of them are intertwining this theology about the last days in their letters and in their epistles. Titus chapter 2, for one example, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Praise God. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So I'm not the same person that I was. God empowers me to live a new life. I don't think the same. I don't act the same. I don't speak the same. It says, and to live a self-controlled, which means I'm no longer a slave to my desires. I'm no longer a slave to my own habits and my sin and my addictions. It says, upright and godly lives in this present age. That's the time that we live in right now. And here it is. Look at the theology creeping in. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a bridge in San Francisco that is suspended by two towers. Amazing engineering. Amazing design. Maybe some of you have been to that bridge. Two huge towers, and then you've got this bridge that's it's like it's floating in the air. It's suspended on these cables between these towers. 
That is our lives that we're living in, in this present age. Between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. Your life is not suspended by regret and disappointment of what happened in your past. Neither is your life suspended about worry and anxiety about what is going to happen in your future. Praise God. Our life is suspended between his first coming, the advent, which simply means his arrival, and his second advent, his second arrival. Our lives are suspended between the goodness of his first coming and his second coming. So your life is not marked by divorce or mistakes or guilt or what somebody said to you or somebody that you hurt or somebody that hurt you. No, 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 no. That is not what your life is based on. That was covered in his first coming. Your life is now and all your sins and mistakes and regret are covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the tower that stands for you and I, and we are anchored in that truth today as we look back. Moving forward, my life is not hinging on some bad thing that might happen, or what the doctor might say, or what my bank manager might say, or what my boss might say. No, 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 my life is now anchored to the tower of the fact that he is coming back for me again, and I'm holding on to that truth. I'm anchored in that truth. Everything else is anchored in those two truths. So, as a result of that, we look back, and what he's done on the cross for us, we say, man, I want to live a godly life. Look at what he's done for me. We look forward, and I say, man, I want to live a life that's filled with gratitude and joy. He's coming back for me again. The only reason for his delay in returning, the only reason for his great patience is because he wants everybody to know. We actually read the scripture last week where it said, do you want to know what's going to happen before his return? It says, all nations, all people will hear. He needs, he wants everybody to hear this gospel message. A few truths. We live in this present age. And in this time, from what we saw Jesus speak even last week, we know that this period of time that we live in is characterized by rumors of wars and wars and earthquakes and famine and trouble and persecution and pandemics and sickness. Those things don't cause us to panic. We're not alarmed by those things. That is what it means to live in a world where evil still exists. We're not discouraged if things are hard. We're not even discouraged if things are falling apart. Furthermore, the spiritual climate of this present age is something that is marked by deception and confusion, by deception and apostasy, people falling away from the faith, people growing cold in their love for God, and people increasing in their hatred towards others. And we think to ourselves, well, I won't be deceived. And Jesus says, I'm speaking to you about these things so you won't be deceived. And our tendency says, well, not me. I'm not going to be deceived. I want you to know the reason why he says that he's warning you against being deceived, is because you can be deceived. To that I would say, I am so glad that this church is not built on Alan Cullen. I am so glad that this church is built on Jesus Christ. Here's why. Because Alan Cullen can lead you astray. Your mom and dad can lead you astray. Your best friend can lead you astray. But Jesus will never lead you astray. So we will keep preaching about Jesus and talking about Jesus and singing about Jesus and lifting up Jesus and holding on to Jesus because there is nobody like Jesus Christ. So when others come, when others come 
and they're chasing after the latest Christian book that has been written, the latest speaker. When people are looking for the clever one or the anointed one or the one with the power or the one who accumulates the biggest crowds or the newest message or the newest apostle or priest or whatever that looks like, our focus will be fixed. Our gaze will be singularly on Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, there is, I think, a real challenge and maybe a problem in the text that we read today. Did anyone catch it? I'll show it to you. Verse 35. Describes all these things. And then he says, excuse me, verse 34. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What does that mean? So the problem with that verse is that verse 29, 30, and 31, he's just talked about his return. Oh dear, what do we do with that? All of these things that are being described including his return, will take place in this generation. That's the generation that Jesus is speaking to, the people that, he's, that are listening to him right there and then. So that obviously must mean that Jesus has returned, right? No, I really hope not, because we've missed it if that's the case. Quite frankly, absolutely not, no. Here's why. Because we know that it says that stars are going to fall from the sky The skies will be shaken. The moon will not give out any light. The world will be on its axis when he touches down that everybody will see him and everybody will know. So there's no way that Jesus has actually returned. So then what do we do with this verse? Well, verse 33 helps us. It says this, even though when you see all these things, well, what things is he talking about? Well, he's talking about all of the things in this present age, the age of the Gentiles, the time between his first coming and his second coming, the rumors of wars, the wars, the apostasy, people growing in hatred towards each other, deception. It says, and you will know that it is near right at the door. The what is near. He's talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Even though he's already described Jesus coming back in verse 30, excuse me, 29 and 30 and 31. He says this. He then takes a step back and he talks about what precedes his return. When you see all of these things, you will know that the end is right at the door. Now, if he's already come back, then it means that the end has already happened. And that simply is not the case. The end has not come. No, the end is near. This is what Christ is saying. He is stating that he will return. Then he takes a step back. He summarized what he has said previously. He says it's right at the door. Furthermore, he says that all of these things will be fulfilled in this generation. And they were famine, sword, war, pandemics, sickness, persecution, death. All of those things describe what took place in the generation that Jesus spoke to. And those are the things that are still taking place in this generation right here. All of those things will happen. And they will come in that first generation. Which means, and Jesus is just about to say this. This is what it means. What he's saying is this. I could come back at any time. All of those indicators, they're already taking place. So watch out, I could come back at any time. Look at how he describes his return. Verse 29, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. 
when he comes back, there's going to be incredible distress. His arrival is going to change and shake absolutely everything. This great tribulation, this difficult time, it will be incredibly difficult. And Matthew doesn't even mention all of the details. In other books, particularly 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the arrival of someone who's known as the Antichrist. And it says the volume of evil, you think it's bad right now? It says the volume of evil is just going to be dialed. It's going to be cranked up, up, up. And physically, this world will be in an unbelievable condition. Verse 30 then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. The sign of the Son of Man is something of a reference to a, it's like a banner. It's like a flag that you would wave. It said, then will appear this sign. That's the picture that Jesus is using here. Paul says in the New Testament that the Jewish people, they were always looking for a sign. God, give us a sign. They would do this all the time. Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Sometimes you and I, do you ever do that? God, just tell me. Just tell me what to do. Give me a sign. Would you please do that? Sunday morning, God, should I, should I go to church? God's like, Alan, you're the pastor. Get out of bed. Get into church. <laughs> it's a sign that you're waiting for. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what the sign is. I love this. Jesus says, it's me. You're looking for a sign in the sky? It's going to be me in the sky. I will be the banner. I will be the actual sign itself. And I'm going to come and I'm going to be splitting the clouds. I'm going to split open the sky. And everybody's going to see this sign. Please, I want you to see this in the text. The possibility of him coming at any moment. That's what he's emphasizing. We want a sign. Tell us about a sign. Yep, here it is. You ready for the sign? The sign is, I will have come back. It will be me right in front of you in the context of tremendous evil and darkness and trouble. Me. I tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of his birth. Genocide was taking place with Herod. Evil rampant in the world. It reminds me of his first advent. Here I am in the middle of tremendous trouble and difficulty. Verse 30, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn. What? All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So all the people of the earth will celebrate, right? Nope. All the people of the earth will dance for joy. Nope. This is a reference from Zechariah. Now, in the Gospel of John, John quotes Zechariah. And he says, the one who is pierced, they will mourn when they see the one who is pierced. John is using that as a direct reference to Jesus on the cross. Jesus now takes that same passage, but he references this scripture to his return. It says, when they see me return, they will mourn. The reason why they will mourn is because they neither recognized him or acknowledged him and received him as Jesus Christ, as who he is. There are churches that are preaching today that when Jesus comes back, it's all good. There are churches out there and they're preaching this stuff. Everybody's in. Everybody's good. Everyone's in the club. Everybody's included. Everything's fine. It's all good. And right here, and even the chapter that we're going to look at next week, I don't even know how you can pretend to get that from the Word of God. It's simply not there. Joel references this moment powerfully in the Old Testament. 
He calls it the great day of the Lord. And I love that. I'm like, oh, Joel, I love that description. But then he calls it this. He calls it the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 4 describes the glory of the Lord like a canopy covering the earth. It will protect us from the storm. God's glory, it's like a covering all over us. In Ezekiel chapter 30 verse 3, it talks about the glory of God, but it uses a very different word. Ezekiel uses the word, and this is like heavy, heavy language. Ezekiel uses the word doom. Doom. I don't know the last time I've used that word in a sentence. And I don't mean that like, oh, look at us Christians. We're all safe. We're good. This horrible day of doom is coming. And I don't mean it like that at all. I mean this in the most humble way possible. Because it puts me in a place where I'm going, are you telling me a day is coming that will be great and dreadful that could be described as this glory would be like a doom? It puts me in a position where I'm like, oh my goodness, I recognize that I simply have this need in my life that I cannot meet. That's where I'm at. That's the greatest truth about me. I recognize that he is coming back again and it will be a great day for those who know him. Scripture says, but for, a, for those who do not know him, it will be a dreadful day. It will be a day of doom. It will be a day of hiding. So when we talk about our faith, when we talk about the gospel, when we talk about living for Jesus, it's not some casual thing that we're talking about, is it? It can't be. We're talking about the eternal future of mankind moving into eternity. What will they do when they see Jesus coming back again? How will they respond to that? And the scripture tells us they're going to weep and hide and go into mourning. When he comes back, it will either be a great day or it will be a dreadful day, depending on what you have done with Jesus. So, here's the hard truth. Without apology, for some of you here today, it's going to be a day of reckoning between you and God. For some of you, you just haven't bothered with this. You have not considered this. You have not thought about it. This idea, this, this idea of just someone who doesn't know Christ, that you would have this burning spiritual intercessory prayer in your heart for that person. That you would do something as simple as, would you like to come with me to church? That's just not even on your radar. And I think God today wants to actually give you a wake-up call. This is real. You're going to want to listen to what he has to say. And you're just like, I just didn't think it mattered. For some of you, it's a wake-up moment of clarity. When he comes again, it's going to be a great day, but it's going to be a dreadful day. A day of incredible joy and delight as he gathers those into his arms that who, who love him. Or it's going to be a day of judgment and wrath. Because he is holy and he is righteous and he is God. So it's left to you in this moment. Do you trust the words of Jesus? What will you do? What Jesus is telling you is going to happen. He said, my words will never pass away. What will you do with that? I'm going to get real hard on you right now. Some of you are lost in yourselves. You're lost in yourselves. You got lost in COVID. Got lost in anxiety. Got lost in worry. Got lost in, what about me? What about my feelings? What about my hurts? I need to look you in the eye today and say, look, I'm not trying to belittle your struggles. I'm not trying to say that those things are not hard. But I want you to have clarity on something that is way bigger than you. Way bigger than your feelings right now. 
much larger, much more important, because there is coming a day. It will be a dreadful day. It will be a great day. And I want you to align your thinking. I want you to stop thinking about yourself for two minutes. What's at stake? Well, what's at stake here is heaven or hell for eternity. An eternity with God or an eternity without God. I want to show you the big picture. I want to show you what is in front of you. That your life matters. That how you live your life matters. That whether or not you share your faith, that matters. Whether or not you pray, it matters. Whether or not you open up God's word, it matters. Whether or not this church is awake or asleep, that matters. And God says there's coming a great day, a dreadful day. It is coming. And nobody knows when it's coming. But what are you going to do with that? Not in fear. It's not in anxiety. But there's no doubt about it. Like church, this is a sobering word, isn't it? It's a sobering word. And it's truth. It's reality. If I can trust what you're saying, then I have to be on course with you today. Would you enter into the love and grace of God? Would you walk with your Father in a way that causes you to share that love and grace with somebody else? Because the stakes are high. Do you believe in the God of the Bible, church? Do you? Do you believe in the God of history as we have seen him move in sovereign power and you can look back at the pages of history and you say, that was God. That he started everything. Like, do you believe that God made the world? Then you're going to want to listen to what he has to say. Because his words will never, ever fade. Because if you truly do trust what he spoke, the last time he spoke, he flung stars into the sky. And what he's telling you right now is I'm speaking again and they're going to fall down. If you believe that he put them up there, you might want to believe that he says when they're going to fall, they're going to fall. Do you believe that he split the Red Sea? Because he just said in the scripture, I'm going to split the sky. So you can't take one and not the other. He's got precedence on his side. Do you believe that he is the same God today, today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever? Do you believe that he actually came? This is, like, do you believe this? That he came through a virgin birth. That doesn't make any sense. But by faith, do you believe that that's what Jesus Christ did? Is your life hinging on that truth? Because now he's saying, and I'm coming again. I'll be riding on the clouds. That will be my second advent. As miraculous as the first one was, wait till you see the second one. Do you believe in the God of Noah? That's what this text is talking about. The God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, Joseph. David, Moses, look at what he did in their lives. Do you believe that he did those things in their lives? What I'm saying to you here is that God has a really good track record. He said the temple would be turned upside down. And it was. Do you believe that he did what nobody else can do? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? If you believe that he rose from the dead, you're going to want to listen to what he's saying here. It's sobering stuff because there's a day when he's going to come back and he will judge the living and the dead. So we're going to worship right now. And I want you to have clarity. God, would you give us clarity? The stuff right now that is consuming you and you think it's really important. And in the light of God's word today, can I just tell you this? It's not even important. And it's consuming you. It's not even important a little bit. 
It's taking all your time and energy and money and attention. And it's not even important at all. Clarity about your life in Christ today. Clarity about what is at stake. So can we respond to the Lord? Can we stand up? And let's worship him together.